Hi, I'm Ken Napsok, host of Watching Thrones. To watch this episode live and get to call in and chat with us about Game of Thrones, sign up today for a free trial membership at ScreenJunkies.com. Hi, Screen Junkies. Welcome to Watching Thrones. I'm Ken Napsok. And I'm Michelle Boyd, and we are going to be breaking down season two of the fantabulous show Game of Thrones today. That's right, and with us, as always, is our own fool and maester, all wrapped in the one. He's <laughs> Dantos and Lewin together. Spencer Gilbert, thanks for coming back. Good to be here, man. Words are wind, and it's going to be a windy day. Absolutely. <laughs> and to help us break, break down season two, which was uh, an interesting season because it followed perhaps the best season, so there was kind of a natural letdown, but when you go back and look at it, there's a lot there, so to help us, Miriam Issa. And I will debate already, because I think season two was the best, so I'm glad I'm here. Wow. Oh, well, she's okay. on my side. I like this. Okay. Yes. We got totally two yeah. season yes. two Let's then let's die. Let's this goes out the window. Let's start right <laughs> now on the season one. Or where are you? Oh, oh, favorite season? Yeah. Ooh, uh, I think it keeps getting better. Wow. Uh, yeah. I'm a cop every, out every season tops mm. the last. But that's a good. That's good too. All right. Let's overview season two. Miriam, Michelle, why do you guys like it better than season one, Miriam? Well, you have the first huge epic battle, the mm. uh, Battle of the Five Kings, the Blackwater Battle. Yeah. Um, also, for a whole episode, for a whole week, I thought that Tyrion was dead, and I nearly mm. killed myself with that. <laughs> so I feel like season one was the prequel that sort of established relationships, because right. this show is all about relationships, and then season two is where it really turns into the Game of Thrones. Okay. I'm on board. You're yeah. winning me over a little okay, bit, Michelle. Okay. Help, help sway me. I dig it. No, she brought up some of my favorite moments. I mean, Blackwater. How yeah. can you compete with that? It was yeah. amazing. You got like not only Tyrion's cleverness, but also mm. the fact that he's willing to use that cleverness for the realm. That he's actually there, not just for his family, exactly. but also for the good of the realm. Like, in you know, get to show off how smart he is in the process. Let me just right. save all of your asses. Right. But you also get a lot of stuff behind the scenes. You get Arya and Tywin. Some mm. of my favorite <sighs> interactions. Actions in the entire show. Two my, of my very favorite characters yes. together. So. You love that stuff, Mary, oh, right? My favorite quote in all five seasons so far is when Tywin tells Arya in this the scene where they meet and where they are bonding and where there's almost a mutual admiration and she begins to challenge him ever so subtly and then he suddenly says, careful girl, careful, I enjoy you, but careful. Oh, <laughs> nearly, I, it was just amazing. I'm there's, kind of surprised this isn't one of your favorite seasons considering it's your favorite character it's a, ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Stannis Sir Jorah and Stannis uh, Baratheon. That's right. I am an unabashed Stannis Baratheon fan. I'm a fangirl for Stannis the Manus. I love yes. Stannis. There's something about his stringent style. He is the the uh, prodigal son's brother who did everything right and got none of the credit. He he's, technically should be the king. He technically, technically should be the king. Technically. Just because he's a little bit of a sourpuss doesn't mean he didn't deserve to be king, but we're going to break into that. Will you all right away? Did I break your heart already? I mean, I'm just wondering, <laughs> does that mean that under the right circumstances you would murder your own daughter? 
Oh. That wasn't this season. That was a tough <laughs> do what you gotta do. That was a tough moment for me. Because <laughs> up until then, and Michelle knows, knows this, we've had text conversations where I, I just text her Stannis and she starts yelling back at me. <laughs> Stannis <laughs> is the only one prepared to do what is right for the realm, maybe other than Varys, but uh, he's hard to trust. Stannis, you can trust, he is tried and true. Uh, but that, that season five daughter. moment was tough. Mm. Yeah, that was tough. Mm-hmm. But let's let's start diving in. But before we do, we talk about Stannis, all jokes aside, he shows up in episode one, and he's got himself a little bit of a friend. She's wearing a red dress. There's a lot of flames. And the guy, uh, Master uh, Maester Crescent, who was also C.O. Bibble in the Star Wars prequels, by the way, uh, shows up trying to uh, outsmart her with some poison. But we get a new religion where we've got seven, the gods, uh, the sevens, uh, uh, we got the old gods, we get the new, and then we got the Lord of Light, Michelle. Yes. And you're going to highlight a little bit for us the Lord of Light. A tiny bit. So basically up until now, you've had really just two religions that you're familiar with. You have the old gods, which is everything from the north. You have the werewoods, you have the heartswood, everything that like the old north worships and remembers. Tree faces. Tree faces. Tree faces. Exactly. Then you have kind of the religion of the rest of Westeros, which is the faith of the seven. I'm going to screw up these names, but it's like the smith, the warrior, the father, or no, yeah, the The, mother, mother. the stranger, the The crone. crone. The maid? <laughs> Sorry! <laughs> and your uncle. Okay. But that's fine. Well, gonna, They're there. Fine. We got seven. And, and the professor. Because... <laughs> <laughs> so, we're moving on. Uh, so, except uh, over in Essos, the main religion there in the Free Cities is based around the Lord of Light, Rolar. Raholar, 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 Yes, this is the religion that Melisandre worships. Uh, she worships the Lord of Light. Essentially, a main difference is the faith of the Seven believes that the Seven Hells—that's uh, where you go after you die—or Seven Heavens. Rolar and the Lord of Light believes that the realm that you're in now is actually Hell, and this Lord of Light is going to come down. He's going to uh, have a prophesied prince that was promised which Melisandre believes is Stannis, that will come deliver everyone from the long night, from the darkness, basically from the White Walkers. And Melisandre is convinced that this is Stannis the Manus, and she is going to do everything she can and screw everyone she can to make sure that this happens. Thank you for breaking that Bam. down. Thank you. And that's <laughs> where we are on the beach beneath Dragonstone, the great castle that Stannis holds down where he, he is burning the gods of the seven. I want to ask you guys this question first, though. If you were living in this time or this era, this this fictional land, Westeros, Essos, of all the religions, which one would you subscribe to, Spencer? Ooh. Uh, do the wildlings have one? I don't know. They all, <laughs> yeah, they all right? seem kind Little of old BS gods to me. or no gods. You yeah, know what I, mean? I think so they're agnostics. No. <laughs> <laughs> Although, yeah, I mean, the old gods. Uh, 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 Bran is actually doing some interesting things, being mm-hmm. able to see through the eyes of the trees. I'll take that. That's a cool magic power. Okay, so you're going. You you, you wish you were a green seer then. Yeah, exactly. I could kind of see you as a warg and a green seer. Oh yeah, roll the eyes back, be <laughs> yeah. for a minute, sure. Climbing up the Rajojin Reed of Mira, Michelle. Uh, mini trivia bit, by the way. Bran does not have to wear contacts in order to do the warging. He can just roll his eyes no, back in his head no. enough to where it wow. just goes straight up white. So, well done, you. Um, for me, the religion, I go with many-faced god. Oh, okay. I'm going with the faceless men, many-faced god. We haven't been introduced to it yet, really, in season two. But uh, I agree with their credo. It's kind of... He represents all of them, and don't think I don't see that. I'm hiding for those in audio. I'm hiding my uh, uh, long claw letter opener, because now I don't trust it around you, Michelle. (laughs) Nice. 
as you shouldn't. <laughs> so you're going faceless him and Miriam, where, what are you worshiping? Um, I worship things that I can see, and I think all those religions have their moment during the series. So I would probably ascribe to them all, sort of have a foot in each, and then either way, eventually I'll get saved through one of them. Make <laughs> <laughs> it safe. You're kind of like the Walder Frey of religions. The late Walder Frey, you'll choose the one at the end. Uh, for me, you know what? I think I might have to go with the Lord of Light, not just because I love Melisandre almost as much as I love Cersei, mm. but for me, mm. in this, if mm. I'm putting myself in this fictional <laughs> bubble, it's the one that, Miriam, kind of to your point, it's the one that seems to have the most proof around it. Right. Guys are rising up from the dead, and not counting White Walkers, of course, but you know, Beric Dondarrion, if I'm in his camp, I'm following him because that yeah. dude ain't dying yet. Even That's though it's true. But Bran is like traveling through time. So, <laughs> you know, the old gods got some proof going for them, too. Right. What I, I love about like the show is that it. they're all kind of like, they, you could make the case that they're all real. You could make the case that they're all kind of parlor tricks. Right. So I kind of love that these might all be BS. Well, right. Melisandre's smoke baby. The smoke baby yeah, is uh, smoke it's baby. I mean, that's not a trick. <laughs> You're right. Smoke that was, killed someone. It's a very so. real smoke baby. Absolutely. It doesn't mean it's God. Uh, who knows? As we like to do on uh, every episode of these recaps, and we'll probably do during this season, again, season six, every Monday after an episode on Sunday night, we're going to be breaking down that show, reacting and analyzing live with you guys. You can Skype in. You can use the uh, hashtag Watching Thrones to uh, discuss things with us on Twitter. Um, but uh, we're going to be talking a lot about the Starks because they are kind of the main mm -hmm. family, the, the point of view a little bit. They're believed to be the heroes if you go to season one in the story, but they always seem to mess things up. Last episode, we called them uh, uh, dumb and stupid, <laughs> but I like to talk about Miriam. You, you can join us you here. Called them um, the sins of the Starks. There were some big ones right. this season. Rob falls in love and breaks his bound promise to Walder Frey. Miriam, uh, was that a mistake? Oh man. <laughs> Duty versus love, your word versus your own uh, truth. I don't know. I would like to quote Littlefinger in season one when he speaks of the Starks and says, man, they are uh, quick to act and slow to think. And I think that is to all of their demise, except the surviving daughters who eventually right. learn the system. Yeah, uh, Rob, um, I... Uh, I mean... That's hard Arya and Sansa are playing the Game of Thrones. Yeah. They are, and they definitely are now. But look, if I'm Rob and I run into Lisa uh, on the field there, Una Chaplin, um, I... You don't have to put a ring on it or a cloak exactly. on it. Exactly! <laughs> this back, is Westeros, it, it, Westeros, that's kind of the way of the land. So you're is saying Rob's all right? Or you did you little... say Rob made the mistake, Oh, Spencer? he made a huge mistake. In Ooh. what universe did he get the idea from that you marry for love? There, I don't I don't think anyone else in Game of Thrones married for love. Right. It's a political maneuver, and I, listen, I'm a loyal person, but in Game of Thrones, you cheat on everyone. everyone there's whorehouses, <laughs> there's mistresses, there's salt wives, there's whatever you want. Why did he think in the middle of a war that he could marry someone else and break a contract with his biggest ally. Absolutely. And his mom yeah. did try to warn him there. I mean, it, it, Eamon Targaryen. Wait, I'm sorry. Did you say Catelyn did something right? Did you? Was that, <laughs> I did. Was I that did. what that was? I, I was going to also say Eamon Targaryen. One of my all-time favorite quotes is, love is the death of duty. Um, but, all right, let's jump into Catelyn Stark. You love to defend her so much, Michelle. I think she continues to make mistakes. She makes one some big ones in season yeah. two. Oh, she makes some huge ones. But, I mean, I think I just rush to defend her because nobody else does. Seven blessings to you, boy. <laughs> and I do see that everything that she does is really rooted in fear for her family. So, of course, mm -hmm. that's her undoing, naturally. Um, but, I mean, I'm with Spencer as far as Rob's concerned. I, I'll 
for all we know, he could just have little Ned Rivers running around, and, <laughs> you know, little little talent. He could have had little Talus Stone running yeah. around in another one. Who cares? But don't marry the girl. Yeah. Yeah. I also think eventually your sins come back to haunt you. Definitely. And though she behaves so honorably during her lifetime on the show, before the show starts, we already know that she was kind of a can I see can I say the C word? Sure. <laughs> she, absolutely. See you. Sure. she was kind of a cunt to Jon Snow. Who <laughs> doesn't deserve it? Because he's probably the cleanest character, just an innocent motherless child. So I think that's that sin planted a seed and it would eventually catch up to her. Absolutely. Okay. Now, this was starts... there any chance that her plan would have worked trading Jamie for her daughters? In, is the, mm. was Great question. It was a mistake, but is it a gamble that she happened to lose? Because if she, if that prisoner exchange works, then the Starks can sue for peace and the war's over. And the war's over. It would have, but in no way does it work if you send Jamie down exactly. to King's Landing. If you're going to do right. that prisoner exchange, you make them you bring the daughters yeah. to them. Where's your leverage at that point? Right. Yeah. Send I mean, a once raven. you're in King's Landing, you're done. Let's mm. meet, let's meet on the trident and kind exactly. of yeah. exactly. do a prisoner exchange, do a handoff. Yeah. Um, as, I saw Bridge of Spies. Absolutely. Right? You just need Tom Hanks around. You just need Tom Hanks around. Um, as, as we break down the seasons, if you listen to season one's recap and uh, breakdown, uh, we don't go episode by episode or uh, scene by scene. We go kind of storyline. We jump around. So I do want to go now to back to my man, Stannis, mm-hmm. and uh, his crew and ask you guys your first impressions because what season two did, what say Empire Strikes Back did so well, is take something great and expand it mm. and kind of give it a universe that you're now living in with additional characters. Uh, and that can be kind of hard. That's Lando Carusian is one of the most important characters to me because he actually added something to that universe. So now you've got new characters rolling in on Game of Thrones and one of the first big ones you meet, you heard about him before. Now you get to meet Stannis, Sir Davos Seaworth, the Onion Knight, uh, Maester Cressen, and Melisandre, and they're all burning things. First impressions <laughs> of that Baratheon clan. Uh, I think he grows on you. He did grow on me, and I came to begrudgingly respect him. Thanks, Spencer. Um, and yet, yeah, he's just, he's when you meet him, he's just, he's the letter of the law guy. He's the guy that, uh, he's the, um, he's the um, actually guy. Yeah. Uh, actually, <laughs> technically, I should be the king by succession. And this is a, a time when you have to kind of throw the rules out the window. So it, his is a doomed and lost cause from the start. From the start, absolutely. He's he's kind of, he doesn't seem like he's ever fully believing Melisandre. He's just kind of like, well, I hope this works. Yeah, exactly. We'll see. Michelle? I just think it's interesting that someone whose brother got the throne uh, with the concept of might equals right is going to be so determined that a bloodline determined mm-hmm. the next king. Very now. true. So, you know, that that always got me a little bit and be like, dude, your brother got it because he was the best guy for the throne at the time. So if your little brother's kind of rallying the people around you, maybe let's go with that and maybe mm. let's not make such a fuss. But I do see where he comes from and, you know, it's going to be hard not to uh, continue on with this red, gorgeous woman spurring you on and telling you <laughs> that you are this prince that has promised and you are this lord of light come again. So I, I kind of see yeah. where he's coming from, but I don't have a lot of sympathy. I'd be a, if Chris Van Houten walks up to me and he's like, you're the chosen one. I'm like, where are we going? Let's yeah. do I'll burn whatever you need. Miriam? You make a really good point. That monarchy sort of doesn't count when his brother sort of, you know, fought his way through a coup for the throne. So technically on paper, I don't think he deserves to be king. And he also doesn't win me over with his choices. I don't see his wisdom. I see the man basically being manipulated by a pair of tits. So <laughs> Fair he didn't win me over. Uh, Fair guys point. are just like, yeah, we, we get that. Yeah, it's like, if we're a girl like that, okay it's like, that. go on, fight him, fight him. Like, I guess I have to fight him. <laughs> 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 Let's talk about the 
Onion Knight, also one of my favorite characters, because I just like the old grumpy men in Game of Thrones. But sir, easy Davos, cosplay for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I got the I got the Yorin hair going, and I got the Davos beard. Uh, I want to talk about the Onion Knight, and and I think uh, it, it's a great pairing him with Stannis. Mm, yes. It kind of helps uh, that gruff Stannis character have a, maybe a softer edge right. around him. But also, this is a man he he chopped off his fingers. Um, right. Talk about Davos Onion Knight. What it means to you, Miriam? Uh, he reminds me of uh, the neighbor in Home Improvement. So basically, <laughs> he's like that. That Mr. you know, Wilson? yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like that art type where what he lends is the wisdom and the vision and the long-term strategy strategy that um, uh, uh, Stannis? Stannis. <laughs> Thank you. So many names. Yeah, you often him. laughs. I loved his character. He yeah. was the brain and the wisdom behind the man. Absolutely, Michelle. I adore Davos, and I think he's really set up to be that way, too. Because yeah. I love him because you're right, he adds that humanity to kind of like to balance out Stannis's gruffness, but at the same time, he's a living reminder of, of how Stannis treats people who goes against him because he's got the shortened fingers yeah. and it's, he's constantly referring to them. Um, you know, I mean, but Davos was the one that saved Stannis during a siege. So, you know, Stannis listens yeah. to him, eventually raises him up to hand, but uh, that's later. Yeah. But I, I do really love Davos. I love all the interactions he has. I love that he has sons, that he just wants everything better for them, uh, and that he just instantly mistrusts Melisandre. Mm -hmm. And all he wants to do is protect his king. And it must pain him that his son Mathos is like all into this totally. new red woman in the religion there. Mm -hmm. And uh, Stannis' uh, drive this season is to take the, the, the throne and to sack King's Landing in the process to, to get to the throne, and that leads to the Battle of Blackwater Oof. Bay. And we will come back to that, but Boom. I want to put a pin in that, because yes. that is kind of the end of the season. But now I want to go into a discussion and a segment we're going to call That's So Renly. <laughs> Stannis Baratheon's brother, Robert Baratheon's brother, member of the small council. He is a likable, charismatic fellow. It is Renly Baratheon, the man very who well also dressed, thinks. Yeah. Very, very well dressed. dressed. <laughs> very well dressed. Uh, let's he talk about... He, he Somehow. Shades. It's good. Uh, so pretty. To start the Renly discussion, let's go with the big question. Do do did you think, is or do you think? Just might be. You kind of have to read between the lines in the book. Eventually, you, you get it. In but. the book, yeah. And again, this show, we we try to limit our in the book references. Yeah. But Spencer got, used his one. I used mine for the episode. <laughs> and I think it's a good one because it was something the show did very well. Is kind of read, build between the lines, yeah. and make and it an like, interesting. Here's a character. dong between those lines the to just drive it on. <laughs> I want to ask this question. I'll start with you, Michelle. Did Renly have a serious? shot at the throne. Do you think it was justified? Did you see him as a real adversary or option? Absolutely. I think he had a real shot at the throne. I think, you know, the country is in total turmoil. And like I said before, Robert got his throne kind of based on likability factor and the mm -hmm. fact that he kind of came in and just smashed everything. So I completely understand Renly coming in and saying, well, I got the bigger army. I got everyone that loves me. I got a gorgeous queen, you know. Yeah. So, and I don't have a creepy red woman telling me what to do. So, I totally understand where he thinks he might be able to come in and kind of swoop in and take over. Like, yeah. everyone likes me best. Why not? It's as good a claim to the throne as any. Nobody wants you as king, brother. Miriam, Renly. Well, like you said, Renly was similar to Robert Baratheon in the likability factor, getting him to the throne, yeah. but he was missing the Stannis talent of mm. the long-term strategy and the... 
he was the likable one, and I feel that that was eventually always going to be his undoing. Yeah. He just didn't have all the elements. For the me. exit polls on Renly are always high. People <laughs> want this guy, they want to vote for him. When you first see uh, him and uh, this season, and he's got the the nice uh, horns on his uh, crown. He's got Marjorie Tyrell, who we now meet. We'll talk about her. Catelyn Stark shows up, and there, uh, Loras and uh, Brienne of Tarth are fighting. I love Catelyn's line mm. of, uh, you know, my husband and and, and and my son and his men. They're they're at war. You're playing at war. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, great stuff. So I do think he was legit. He had all the reasons. But yeah, long-term planning, not his thing. He no. just kind of was like, hey, guys, you all like me at the party. Let's do right. this. There is a really good quote uh, in the book, I think. And I don't think they say it in the in the show. But it's, um, let's see, Stannis, comparing Stannis is pure iron. He's mm. black. He's mm. strong, but brittle. Rob, uh, Renly was copper. He's bright. He's pretty to look at. He's not really worth all that much on the, batter, on the battlefield. And Robert was the two combined. He was the true steel. Mm-hmm. So he was like the kind of the tempered weapon that you were really going to get behind in in war. Right. So either brother mm. is just a bad choice. Right. Really. Because mm. you once you lose Robert. Did you just say Stannis was a bad oh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, but you might be right and that's a great Yeah, but great I insight. I always really liked that analogy that they they brought up in the book. Yeah. And also there was this moment where the two could have made peace with each other mm-hmm. and sort of ruled together and mm-hmm. then it would have been the yin and the yang together and they would have had everything they needed but yeah. they both declined that offer. It's because they, they, they It was like Cersei's birthday when was, she found out that that's was happening. Right, that's right. It's because Renly didn't have fruit on the show. That's one of the, the big, the, big peach. The, the peach is not there as in the book. I'm using my book on that one, the peach reference. Um, let's talk about, you mentioned her, she's Natalie Dormer's awesome, Marjorie Tyrell. Yes, yeah. I have my high garden roses. You do, you are I, of high garden. This is in honor right now. Uh, Marjorie Tyrell. She's in it to win it. She's yeah. in it to win it. She mm. is smart. I think she's an underrated player and yeah. going into season six there's so many questions yes. about her character yes. but go back to the beginning seeing this it's Loris's sister what are your impressions she's, of Marjorie? She's very open minded <laughs> um, she's, Cheers yeah, she, uh, she's, uh, she's smart she's playing the long game um, right. her, her family is very well set up to take power but not directly yeah. so she has uh, but the, all these powerful families need someone like the Tyrells to give them basically money and the gold and the army and if you've seen pictures pictures of this place it's like Camelot <laughs> it's like rolling fields and beautiful castles it's everything you think about when you think middle ages uh, and fantasy land so yeah. uh, she's going to be an important player no matter what I, I love that Spencer you, you probably do what I do where you think this is a real world by this point oh, yeah. you're Absolutely. just like nope I, I would like to go to Highgarden yeah. I've seen the same I'm, I'm actually going to Ireland soon and I'm visiting just, Winterfell just this pretend. is happening there you go, there you I, go. Have a, I have a question about yeah. her yeah. do you see her as just a more affable sir Lannister, like one who knows how to play the game with her charisma, or unlike Cersei, is there a redeeming quality about her? How do you guys feel about her in season two? I, that's a great question, number one. I do see her as a new generation Cersei that mm-hmm. maybe sees some of Cersei's mistakes and doesn't mm-hmm. have that bitter, vengeful heart mm-hmm. that Cersei has. And Marjorie, you know, she's been in, at this point, we're in her first sham marriage, um, but <laughs> yeah. um, she's smart enough. And I, I think there's a little bit of Think she's smarter than she is, but I also think she knows how to play it a little bit better. Uh, I am think I wrong? The main difference is she she was raised by Olena and Cersei was raised by Tywin. Right. So you got uh, Cersei who is just bitter that people treated her different than Jaime her entire life. Whereas you do really have the parallel with like mm. Loras and Marjorie versus like Jamie and Cersei. Obviously, hopefully we think not the incest thing, pretty sure, pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause you know, Marjorie being a chicken all, but it's, 
I don't think that you have that kind of, like you said, bitterness that mm-hmm. Cersei has, and I think Marjorie is playing that long game. She's right. she wants to be the queen. Not is a there queen. a shred of goodness in her heart? Do you? Think? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's pragmatic goodness, yeah. but I think that yes. they put they put the realm before just their family, and they think that if they're in power, the realm has the best chance to stay together. Yeah, it goes to later seasons where she's going to uh, talk to the underprivileged kids, so to speak, mm-hmm. and it's done so well. She does it so well, but I don't fully believe. I don't her. believe. Oh. Believe her. I don't believe yeah. her. Yeah. But who cares if they're still getting fed? You know, right. Right. Like, she's like Bill Clinton. She's like it's she, she loves good just like realm. doing yeah. the thing, making the dance, making it look good. Yeah, but absolutely. at the end of the day, if, if the realm's okay, who cares? She even was able to, I mean, later, you know, redeem mm-hmm. Joffrey a little bit. Like she was kind of coaching him much better than right. Cersei ever exactly. did. Exactly. Later. Later. Yeah. Later. Yeah. later. Later. Quick thoughts on Brienne of Tarth. We see her her mm-hmm. in this uh, scene we're talking about, and Gwendolyn Christie's just amazing. I love and her. So many people love her. And yeah. Tall girls, tall girls, tall girls forever. So happy. Talk about it. You're both tall girls. Talk about Brianna Tarth. <laughs> yeah. She's my girl. I love her. I mean, she she is almost like more honorable and more naive than any Stark on this show ever. Mm-hmm. She she's like Stark personified she's buff Sansa. to me. Yeah, completely. She's Buff Sansa. <laughs> Hashtag um, Buff Sansa. <laughs> Spencer just rolls them out. She wants nothing more than knights to be good and kings to be just, and she wants you know to re- she wants to fight and she wants to serve the realm and she wa- she's fallen in love with Renly and she wants him to be king because she thinks that's what's going to be best for everybody and she's just got these stars in her eyes and they all come crashing down with Shadow Baby. Mm. Shadow Baby, Shadow, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, definitely one of the trademarks. I mean, if you, people don't know the show, but kind of do, they kind of, they, they're, they're like a shadow vagina baby come out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that definitely yes. happens. Yeah, you one didn't of the, fall asleep. Didn't fall asleep. Nope. Crazy moments from the first times. I mean, we're still season two. It's kind of early where I'm like, wait, what show am I watching? Yeah. <laughs> What's happening? one of the the best deaths I think in the show but it also had the most impact in many ways because it just kind of scattered everything we would have had kind of more straight on war talk about the shadow baby what were your reactions when you first saw that Spencer oh uh, well at that point I had been booked first so I knew it was coming and uh, (laughs) and, um, it was great to see how they actually pulled that off Um, I just want to talk about Brienne of Tarth a little bit let's do that she's such a fantastic character because she embodies everything about what it is to be a good knight Mm -hmm. and a good warrior and a loyal thing but the irony of her character is that no one will ever respect her as that. Right. In this world, she's just totally born into the wrong body, and uh, and that is her dealing with that and coming up against that that really motivates her and is, makes her the best character. Her by being female and Jon Snow by being a bastard child. But both of them, I think, are the only characters that never make a moral compromise. You want them to win. Mm-hmm. They're incredible warriors. And exactly, they're not respected. Is is So to your point, Spencer, and to back that up when you bring in Snow, like we talk about the Snarks, Snarks? The Snarks. Starks, <laughs> the Starks being too noble for their own good. Is she too noble or too naive for her own good? Or... Or what? Uh, I think she's... Well, yeah, she just is a little bit uh, out of touch with reality, yeah. and yet we love her for it. Yeah. Um, she's never going to get what she wants, which is to be a knight. Well, who knows? Maybe she will. Yeah. Uh, which is to be uh, is to have the respect in accordance with her deeds, right. but she's never going to get it. Right. So it, it's bittersweet, and it's heartbreaking, but that's why she's such a great character. I absolutely loved. But, yeah, that's a great question, too, about Snow. It's like, he, it's again, these guys and, and, and women, they uncompromise themselves into these bad bad places in this land, which is why Westeros is such a 
dangerous world and why the Starks are stupid, right? No. <laughs> um, so the Shadow Baby 2, to go back to that there, uh, when you were watching that, Michelle, what were your reactions? Well, again, I was a book reader, so I did see it, so I knew it was coming. But uh, that was more graphic than I expected. Uh, that was, pushing. I think, a lot of hands. just the hands, <laughs> the hands coming out, and I just remember it being teased in the episode before. It was just crazy. Um, so my reaction was kind of more like Davos, like oh, yeah, I watched God, it like Davos, Davos too. Like, <laughs> like oh, what the heck is happening right now? Um, and they do, they, I, you know, I thought they pulled it off very well with the shadow going mm. into the tent with Renly and who's just sort of there reassuring Brienne and Catelyn and thinking right. everything's going to be okay and and then the shadow comes in with the face of Stannis which I thought was a very mm-hmm. interesting one right. but I mean I understand it was like sex shadow baby Got but it from his still, daddy yeah yeah <laughs> you know it's, it's so I I just I watched everything kind of crumble for Brienne because I mean obviously going into this I knew that Renly wasn't going to have a real shot right. at the throne but I'm actually curious because you didn't read the books right so did you actually think Renly was gonna have more of a shot was this a total I, total shock I did this was a total shock I didn't see it coming and I think what it did was really break what. Uh, the world of possibilities in Game of Thrones mm. was really expanded when that happened. Like, oh mm. shit, that can happen? That can go down? Good point. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Ghosts, smoke babies can kill what? people. Yeah. Yeah. change the entire plot line. It just kind of, it spurns uh, Marjorie and Baelish and, and, and Catelyn and, and Brienne right. now motivated with her uh, kind of own form of vengeance. And you need a king's blood for that, right? Or, or why isn't she just pumping those out all the time? They yeah. did bring that up. Because yeah. Stannis was trying to, Stannis tries to like coerce her into sex later on, and she's like, "Yeah, no, I'm not having that anymore." <laughs> Excuse me, Jon Snow's over here. Uh, <laughs> so later on, and it's something I, I feel like it's something the same reason that Thoros of Mir can't just resurrect Beric mm. Dondarrion over and over and over and over and over until the end of time. Like it mm. does take something out of them, mm. I believe. We'll have to have her on the show to figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I volunteer (laughs) as as tribute. Uh, I want to jump around now to uh, we talked about earlier, but now Arya's on the run, and and Mm -hmm. she starts the season with with uh, Yorin. For the short time he's on the show, is absolutely one of my favorite characters. He does such a great job, and he's uh, he's leading them up. She's got Gendry, Hot Pie, Lamy. She's pretending to be uh, a a little boy dressed as a boy. Why? Safer to travel, my lord. Smart. She, she, of course, meets Jack and Agar for the first time. She doesn't really know it at the time. Uh, but I want to kind of go into Arya's journey and Arya undercover and where she ends up in the time we have. I want to really focus on that time with Tywin at Harrenhal mm-hmm. and the really the next step in Arya's character. She learns a lot in those moments. Um, so, Miriam, you love those scenes. What about them resonate with you? Seeing who Arya resonates with in her enemies says a lot about the traits that she has, but the trajectory that she will like sort of point those same traits to, just seeing her bond mm-hmm. with Tywin Lannister. They say he can't be killed. Do you believe them? No, my lord, anyone can be killed. Seeing her ability to play a game at such a young age, I mean, all innocence is robbed of this girl. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, so much to say. And the stakes are so high in all of those yeah. moments. I mean, does Tywin know who she is? I guess no, not. No, so, no. Uh, he absolutely know, does not. One, a quick question. Slip, one slip up yeah. with one of the shrewdest men in the whole uh, kingdom, and she's toast. Yeah. You say Tywin doesn't, I believe that, but when Baelish shows up, do you think Baelish knew who that was? It's possible. I mean, I know that Arya took 
pains to keep away from him. Yeah. But it is possible. I don't, I don't, I truly don't believe Tywin knew who she was because I right. don't, but she was way too right. valuable a hostage, right. as we see later on, sure. to let, to just let go and not Great like point. hold in fetters and chains. Um, but he does know she's someone because he corrects her on the Malor yes. thing. Yes, her language, yeah. On her language. So, But I just don't think that he thinks it's important enough to really care about right then. Right, right. Uh, so, yeah, but as far as Baelish, I mean, I never put anything past him. He's be the one that feels like, oh, that's our, I'm going to keep this information mm-hmm. yeah, for myself. Like, I'm just gonna, smart I, I think the time wasn't right for him to reveal that right. information, but I'm pre- he, he, He's the type that would just, like, hold that close. So we're focusing on Arya in these scenes, but the other part of this scene is is Tywin, Charles Dance. So Mm -hmm. excellent as Tywin Lannister. Comes late into season one, episode seven, but now this is the first time we really get to see Tywin. Is there anything you can pull from these scenes that make you, I don't want to say sympathetic, but maybe understand who Tywin is and where he's coming from, Spencer? Sure, sure, sure. I mean, he is, uh, going back even before the show starts, he's been shadow-ruling the kingdom since Mm -hmm. the Targaryens. He's always been the one that's just... Listen, I'm going to be the one that actually does the job. Um, whether I have the recognition for it or not, I'm going to be the guy that actually holds the power and keeps my family safe. So that's an understandable motivation. And, you know, it's not his fault that his grandson's a prick. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's just keeping his own best interest at heart, which you have to respect in this world. Right. Miriam, you, you, you have a reaction to time in there, right? Uh, it's yeah. part of what makes it so good, those scenes. Well, yeah, that scene with Arya, he reveals so much. And you know he's not evil. He is smart. Right. He is ruthless. And unlike the characters that don't make moral compromises and end up in the Night's Watch or wherever else, he makes the compromises, but he's getting the job done. And he kind of reminds me of those totalitarian leaders in the Middle East when it's such a shit show anyway that you have to. I'm not mm. saying you have to slaughter <laughs> anybody. But I'm just saying, you begin. To this understand, to a totally different I know. Show. I needed to go there, <laughs> <laughs> but you have everyone drinks their water because they're nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, uh, I'm not saying, saying he's a Gaddafi. Endorse, I'm just endorse saying endorse Saddam. Yeah, <laughs> I, get what, no, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Thank he's you. the bad guy, but his his core is loyalty, the family name, being strategic, being clever. He is the shadow power. He is truly the most powerful man in Westeros. So I see some of Tywin in these scenes where you're like, I get behind this guy. I understand it. I think he's a great leader in some ways. He's a bad leader in many ways. He's a horrible father in many right. ways. But I see a lot of his character revealed in these scenes. That I, it's interesting. He's an intriguing character. He's right? a fantastic character. He's and not I mean, just and a bad guy. No, he's no. not just. He's nowhere near that one-dimensional. Yeah. I mean, this was a guy who tried his entire life to get his family into the throne, one way or another. Too, like he wanted to marry Cersei to Rhaegar. Yeah. So and then turn that down flat. So mm-hmm. he's kind of had yeah this going on with the throne for a very very long time. Right. But I loved just any of his conversations with any of his kids, any of those, Mm -hmm. you just, you get to see kind of different sides of him based on who he's talking to, but you get to see why Tyrion is described as his son. Like, mm-hmm. there's a reason behind that. Right. Can you expand on that? Well, like, okay, so obviously Jamie is his golden boy, and Jamie was everything that he wanted his son to be, and Jamie, Jamie defied him by joining the Kingsguard, um, which was sort of like a slap in the face So now to he can't inherit. He can't right. inherit now he can't become his... the heir of Casterly mm-hmm. Rock. So Tywin still, up to this point, like, just kind of disregards Tyrion, because Jamie became Kingsguard way earlier in life. But he still doesn't really care about Tyrion too much until Jamie is captured. Um, that's really the time when Tywin kind of came in and like acknowledged Tyrion as, no, you're going to go and fix this in King's Landing. You're the best person for the job you're because you're my son. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
you know, he knows that Cersei is batshit crazy. He doesn't <laughs> trust her. Mm-hmm. So, you know, clearly he's one of the smartest people in Westeros. What was the biggest, if you can boil it down to the biggest lesson that Arya learned in her time at Harrenhal? It's a good question. Yeah. Mm. Going deep. Going deep. Is it just about playing the game? Is it just about being smart? Is it just about having a friend who will magically kill people? <laughs> what is the lesson? She clearly comes out of that even more changed. That is the beginning of her transformation, I think. I don't think she knows her end game at that point. She like doesn't. she doesn't know where she wants to go. Right. Because she doesn't even know where most of her family is. She thinks she does. Right. But right now all she's kind of concerned about is not getting a rat gnawing through her stomach. Right? Sure. So yeah, that's a Fair pretty point. that's pretty enough to be to get <laughs> Tend with, I think. Because unlike know. Tywin, she's not motivated by power. She's not trying to control right. uh, all of these uh, lands. She is motivated by vengeance. Mm-hmm. So they're different in that way. So I don't know how much she learned from Tywin in her scenes with him. Mm. But she definitely comes out of it. Uh, she's a little smarter. She's a little yeah. smarter. She knows how to play the games. Uh, let's move on now to our segment called Paying the Iron Price. Uh, we're going to spend some time with our friend Theon. Everyone loves Theon. <laughs> Theon's a great kid, right? Is there any sympathy you have for Theon after seeing him return home and his father, Balon? Sure, there's a little sympathy. A little bit. But, yeah, I, I think you really just, you learn that the Iron Islands suck and everyone there is awful and... Um, <laughs> If anyone in this show deserves to be uh, just burned to the ground, it's probably them. <laughs> the Greyjoys. Um, it's, it's a dark I'm land. I'm not an <laughs> advocate of uh, genocide, as you right. uh, support uh, Middle Eastern That's dictators. Right. Yes, I, do. I don't support genocide. But if I had to, I would burn the Iron Islands to the ground. They're they, not the they, warm and fuzzy islands. They're not the warm and fuzzy islands. They give you nothing. Their whole economy and, and ethos is based on raiding and raping and pillaging right. and right. just being dicks. We take what and is ours. And it's like, if you're going to do incest, own up to it. You know, like the Lannisters do. <laughs> don't do it. So, oh, I didn't know you were. My sister. Let's that. Okay. Of Never all the, back to the of show. all the no, of all the creepy things in Game of Thrones, and there is a lot. There is a lot. Yara, as she's called on the show, is the sister of Theon. She runs into him down at the, the <laughs> port when he's coming into town, and. That is one of the more off-putting sequences so for me. Sure. Like, Cuz she knows. She yeah. knows what she she's knows doing. She knows who he is. Like, all right, maybe he rubs your shoulder and hey, knock it off, brother. What? <laughs> I am guilty of having paused the TV. I wanted to see how low his hand went <laughs> in her pants and it went low. <laughs> it freaked me oh, out. He paid the iron price oh uh, all the way there. Wow, yeah, it's it's of all the things in Game of Thrones, of all the incest and all the brutal murders and gruesome things that's the one where I'm like I'm getting the hot spits here it's a little bit weird especially when she walks in she's like hello brother oh my gosh you know why there's so much foreshadowing on this show I think the very first time that Theon is described by another character I think it was in season one Jamie Lannister Mm -hmm. describes him someone said something like oh Theon's a good guy and he's like no no he's not and you begin to see Theon through that lens and it's just foreshadowing Theon you kind of knew that even in season one with his interaction with John, right? Mm-hmm. Because even though he is not, I mean, yes, he's a trueborn, but he's a hostage. He was right. a ward of the of the Starks, and yes, they were treating him very well, as you're supposed to. But the way he treated mm-hmm. John was just very telling of his character, and just yeah. very like, oh, I think you're below me. I'm gonna treat you like dirt. Right. Yeah. 
The same way he treats uh, uh, Osha, is it? The uh, the wild girl? Yes, yeah. like, right. yeah, he goes on a real molesting streak in uh, in yeah. seasons one and two. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which leads to, uh, you know, some uh, interesting mistakes. And Theon makes an interesting one here. He has that choice. He has that letter to Rob, written, crafted, mm-hmm. warning him of what's coming, and he burns it. And he burns it. And is that kind of the moment to you guys where Theon, you can't go back from that? There's other things he does later on you can't go back from. Right. And other things he loses you can't grow back. But um, you know, is that the moment? Is that the moment for Theon when he burns that letter? Yes. That is the first one. And you think he can't go back from it and then he makes bigger and bigger mistakes. And yet I surprised myself in season five when as he's escaping and he's, you know, been abused and molested and raped and, you know, his balls have been cut off. I start to feel for the guy and I start thinking maybe there's maybe there's hope for this guy. Maybe he's turned. He's literally done a 360. And he he has an odd loyalty to the Starks, even though he was their ward, kind of their prisoners, because he's still kind of he's helping along the way or feels bad for what he does in the confession to Ramsay later on, which we get about, you know, my one true father has head cut off and all that kind of stuff so there's some sympathy yeah there. but he at this moment he's making a play uh, for his lineage for saying that true. you know what once an ironborn always an ironborn uh, screw these guys they're well, not do dead you, never do you die. guys think that that was really because of he wants to be true to his real family or he just wants to go back to being a prince Prince. Yeah, I mean, prince. the the rewards are huge. He's the only uh, heir to mm-hmm. uh, yeah. to that whole place. He could be a king for just this one move. Right. But I'm just curious, during this season, did you guys lose all love for this character? Theon, I, in a weird way, gained some. Really? Because it's when you go, especially on second or third or fourth or for me, sixth, seventh, eighth, and too many <laughs> viewings, when you go back and his father in those first scenes, um, I had to study Balon. I was playing him in a, in a web series. I had to play this. I was coached Balon Greyjoy in this thing called School of Thrones. So we'll I, be clicking on I that studied, later. I studied Balon for a little bit for this little scene I had. And that's some harsh stuff where he comes yeah. back and he's like, do they dress you like a girl? Would you pay, rip that off? And you're just like, oh, this guy, he just wanted to be loved by his father and there's some daddy issues and then the Serious whole sister thing. Issues. So I did come out with some sympathy, but he just continues to make bad mistakes right. where it got to the point where I didn't feel yeah. sorry for him Can't later fight on. For you, dude. I just always and, felt like yeah. Theon was between a rock and a hard place. Mm-hmm. Like he mm-hmm. was just, there was no right decision for that character. Like mm-hmm. you either have loyalty to the Starks who raised you and who are mm-hmm. like, you're a much better family than your actual family, but it means disavowing your actual heritage and your actual family, or you go back to the Greyjoys, which is what he ended up doing, and then you're a dick for totally disavowing the people who raised you up. So I I just don't, I feel bad for him because I don't know what right decision he could have made. And no one deserves, you know, Ramsey Snow's uh, funhouse. (laughs) It's such a great season because we spent so much time with so many villains and they're all so multidimensional. Except Joffrey. And that's what I was gonna say, that's the only one who's just a bad dude and you want him seeing burn. Actually, and uh, Daenerys's brother. Yes. Another one. We've already gotten rid of him. Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. gone. He's, he's dead. I think Theon can be boiled down to where the one scene where he's trying to behead Sir Roderick mm-hmm. Cassell, yeah. and he's trying to do the honorable thing that Ned kind of taught him to do, yeah. and he can't yeah. do it well enough. It's like five brutal hacks and a <laughs> kick, and that head's finally off. Oh. It's Theon in a it's nutshell. Like me trying yeah. to open a bag of chips. But with slightly higher stakes. Let's move on to. Says you, I'm hungry. <laughs> oh my! Yeah, let's move on to Tyrion and King's Landing in season two. He's the acting yeah. hand of the king. His father now has a respect for him a little bit. Sends him there. Tells him don't bring the whore, and he does. Shay's on her way there, but. 
the, uh, Tyrion, as Hand of the King, this is kind of th- Tyrion's season to have fun yes. and play with the pieces. How did you guys think he, he did? Well, it's great watching him get the upper hand and finally get a position of power with where he can show off his intellect and, yes. uh, and make these moves and stuff like that. But also, he's kind of being played because he's the easiest scapegoat when things start to fall apart. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, looking ahead, it, it might have been a little bit calculated. Right. No, sure. I absolutely agree. Uh, I think it, you know, just boils down to just that scene in the small council room where they just leave him this chair out of nowhere, and he's just like, "I'm gonna drag the chair right in the position of power." Thank you very yeah. much. Um, you know, he makes his own way because he knows that nobody is gonna give him a hand up. Um, yeah. So. I, I do think it was interesting and I would love to have heard like a back conversation with Varys or Littlefinger mm. when this happened with him because they're like, shit, is he going to mess this all up for us? Yeah. Uh, but I think you're right and I think the way to handle it was to make sure that he was the scapegoat of everything and considering Cersei was looking for that anyway, it makes it very, very easy. Easy. Tyrion's hand? I think he was great. Yeah. I He was great. He, he knows the difference between right and wrong, but also he knows the game, and I think he was such a good balance between the two. I still have hope for him yeah. in season six. Um, and I must say, I think it was episode nine of season two where he gets his face slashed, and I yeah. didn't read the book, so I didn't know it was coming. I yeah. lost my shit for seven days. Yeah. I didn't want to lose that man. <laughs> yeah. the I realm he was dead. I thought he was dead, and the realm needs him. I need, I, I need you. Tyrion, I love that scene with him and Varys towards uh, the end of that season where they're like, you do play the game very yes. well. It's a great moment between those yes. two. You enjoy the game. I do. Last thing I expected. Besties now. And Besties. a moment of honesty among characters who so often are not. Right. Right. We haven't talked about Daenerys yet, uh, but we're going to talk about her now as we uh, go to a segment called Putting the Karth Before the Horse. Um, (laughs) Daenerys starts the season wandering in the desert. She now has dragons. She's killed her, uh, uh, burned her husband and got some baby dragons out of it. And uh, they end up at this magical city, one of the greatest greatest city that ever was and ever will be. And the Spice Trader, who's one of my favorite little side characters with his weird little hand motions and uh, all those things. (laughs) Uh, I I was lost. When they get there, I had no idea. I'm like, was there just hit Disneyland? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The budget constraints kind of. Uh, yes, they were yes. saving money for Blackwater. I was but, just gonna say uh, we yeah. thought they blew it with Blackwater, but yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> not till Dorne did the show look more like Hercules and Xena. But yeah. um, the uh, uh, I don't know. This is where season two, which I know you yeah. guys loved, kind of fell apart for me. Where mm. we didn't quite see the end game of how Danny would get her way back to Westeros, and right. it just seemed like she was That's just true. getting duped and on this like long winding road where she just kept going. Well. Oh, my dragons, where are my dragons, where are my dragons? Like, I don't care. I stopped caring. At this you pointed point. out before the show, this was the season where that that really, that segment that everyone loves, uh, where are my dragons? And that is that the That was word. the refrain, yeah. I was yeah. a little bored. They're in the house of the undying. Um, uh, Karth, your reactions to Karth, the city, the characters, the people. Uh, Quaith, who comes up to Sir Jor and is like, I know who you are. You love her. Like, could that be Danny from the future is one of the theories we, and the prophecies? <laughs> There's so much stuff in we Karth and the know. visions. I yeah. agree with you, Spencer, in a little bit. It, it, it loses me a little bit, though there's some interesting things there. Your guys' reactions, Miriam? I'm curious to know from like a non-book reader's perspective first. Yeah. Because I had a different take coming into this because I kind of had some backstory about what was going on with the vision. So I was really confused by that whole story, <laughs> yeah. to yeah. be completely honest. Yeah. The um, one shot I'm I remember, still trying to get it. Yeah, the one shot I remember was snow falling on the throne. Yes. The vision, yeah. With like the broken roof. Snow yes. on a throne, <laughs> perhaps, maybe? 
We'll, well see. and here's what was interesting. And I, okay, can I have I used it in the book yet? Can you, I pick it up my second one? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just because again, the nice thing about the show, and I think what they do so very well, is they're able to take sentences and turn them into visuals. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, is when you're reading a book and it says on a throne, you're like, okay, that could be any throne. In the show, Iron Throne. Like right. yeah. you see it. It's right there. Like you there's no other way around it. There's no other interpretation. So it, you kind of get more questions and less questions at the right. same time. So I think it's very interesting that the show gets to choose kind of which way the visions are going to go because in the books they're much more ephemeral and it's much mm-hmm. it's much less certain. Yeah, and it's but definitely there's some still confusing. Yeah, it is confusing, in the show. And, and there's some big changes book to show. That there was a lot of changes in book from book two and season two. As you can back yeah. me up, Michelle, and you too, Spencer. That it's like the, the book maybe did a better job explaining the show, did a better job of as a show would do, cutting it down to the core of the story. But it's still it's kind of it's kind of confusing. What world are we in right. in this magical land uh, beneath the red waste? Let's go north of the wall here. Um, uh, we got so much to talk about. I wanted uh, we can't ignore north of the wall, John snow there's so much stuff out there with snow core and half hand the 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 uh the rangers everyone from the night's watch have, has marched north they're at the fist of the first men this is how the show ends uh with the army of the undead approaching the fist of first men but so much before that point uh john snow and his journey and his mistakes but also this kind of weird plan Let's just dive into the north. Let's journey into you. Yeah, I feel pants. like. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Uh, he gets there. Um, but I think that that's, his whole character's journey is so much bound up in duty and what's the mm-hmm. right thing to do mm-hmm. and what choice to make. And then the ironic thing is that for him to make the right choice, he has to go back on his duty. Yeah. Um, so that puts his character in a really interesting place. And uh, and we see that he kind of has a foot in both worlds of south of the wall, north of the wall, highborn, lowborn, and um, right. he's kind of got it all. Does Jon Snow really know nothing? Does he really know nothing? <laughs> Sorry, good to question. Know oh man, that is that their romance. Uh, That relationship is so beautiful. The story, the arc of that relationship, where it starts, where it becomes, and then where it ends up, and the different versions of you know nothing, Jon Snow, carried something different. You said that one too many times. It it turned into like Bazinga, or like that's what she said. It's like, okay, it doesn't work in every situation. They were, I think, the purest relationship by far. Is it just because, is it it the cave? Did y'all fall in love with them in the cave? Is that what the scene is? The innocence. The innocence. The nicest moment yeah. is to have a nice jacuzzi with a exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank God, there's something yeah. warm up yeah. there. And how'd you yeah. know to kiss me down there? I know. What's <laughs> going on down His there? tongue okay. knows something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good for I, her. I well wanted done. to. I just wanted to. But um, the, the king of the wildlings, he was. Uh, he used to be. In Mance the Night's Watch. Mance Raider was in yes. the Night's Watch. So there was yeah. kind of like a, a trade. There was like a balance there yeah. because he now traded. And then meanwhile, you've got John sort of playing that role. And he'll eventually return to the Night's Watch. Right. So I, I thought that was nice. What it also did, the storyline, especially Ygritte in the, in the relationship, was it kind of took these wildlings, these bad guys. these yes. They're the enemies to, nope, they're real people. They have their own motivations. Just happen exactly. to be born in the wrong Economic so refugees. Except for, exactly. the, except for the cannibalistic thens. Yeah, can we all agree those guys are bad? Thins. <laughs> Thens. Yeah. Well, you know, Thens got to eat. I mean, yeah. There's not much to grow around there. <laughs> I, I think it was interesting, like, just because this is kind of evidence of John maybe not being as much of a hard head as Starks. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, you know, what would have been the honorable thing to do? Very true. Mm-hmm. Not kill Corrin Halfhand, probably. And, and just not what, sleep with the wildling. Not sleep with the wildling and yeah. probably just die. Mm-hmm. So John's decision to actually go along with that and to actually, you know, 
join them as a spy, essentially, you know, it's not necessarily the most honorable thing to do, but it was definitely the right thing to do. Right. right. And right. now he's any, well, still alive. But you hit such a good point of how uh, this is a moment where we begin to humanize of all the lands, this group of people who've sort of been marginalized and they're just, they're wild and cannibalistic. I loved what we did to them. Yeah. Turn them into people. They're just trying to get rid, they're just trying to get away from the real threat in this entire show. Right. The White Walkers. Winter is coming. We get to see more of that at Craster's Keep, which is very key. There's so much to talk about and we could talk about it for a couple hours. So I want to kind of boil it down to this final thing though. Uh, A a great question that me and our our lead researcher, Lon Harris, have for uh, life really, is (laughs) Corrin Halfhand, the great night's watchman, his plan to have John kill me and they'll take you. Would that have gone what? wrong on any <laughs> level? Was that the biggest risk you gamble on the show? It works. High risk, high reward, yeah. It but was wasn't he gonna die? Wasn't he gonna die anyway? Guy die anyway, but then you're thinking, all right, John, g- kill me, and they're going to like you. Yeah. That could have been a t- complete waste. But I think it's honestly the only chance he yeah. had because Wildlings mm. and Night's Watch, they're, you know, they're Hatfields and McCoys. They're yeah. mortal enemies, so the only way to prove that you've truly gone over to the other side is to kill your sworn brother. Okay. Mm. Okay. Right. So and you obviously guys... there's precedent because Matt's Raider. Yeah. Sure. Right. You know, so, but. And Matt and Corn knew each other really well. But right. there was only, I mean, and, but that's the thing. That was the chance. Uh, Matt's could have just killed John simply for killing his old friend, too, because right. I'm sure they still had mutual respect for each other. Right. Yeah. Could have gone very wrong. Interesting moment. Great give, stuff give John there. Another I think it was logically sound. <laughs> logically sound. You're on board for I'd that. I'll do it again. <laughs> Let's, as we begin to close out here, uh, I want to talk about the Battle of Blackwater Bay. Uh, it is perhaps one of the best sequences. It yes. has one of my favorite shots, which is uh, uh, Braun shooting the arrow yes. and the thing goes silent. Get down! Beautiful. A lot of death, a lot of things. Tyrion strategies come into play. The the wildfire, everything's going on here. It is a great scene. Has uh, anything in the show surpassed this? Yeah, budget wise, it has. But there's a lot of there's a big emotional punch in this battle that I like. Yeah, maybe hard home yeah. uh, in season five. But um, for me, this was the peak. And when you said, "Oh my God, who needs to watch movies anymore?" This show is delivering mm-hmm. blockbuster uh, style entertainment uh, on a weekly basis. Yeah, excellent point. Totally agree. Yeah, yeah. I loved it not just because the battle itself was so awesome, and yes, yeah, ships blowing up and wildfire, and oh my God, what a great strategic stroke. But I actually really loved what happened right after. Mm-hmm. I loved when yes. Tyrion took control of the army after Joffrey had been taken back to the castle. This is your city, Stannis means to sack. There's our brave men knocking at our door. Let's go kill them. He actually made this army follow him, follow a dwarf. Right. Shamed them all into doing it. And yeah, so, you know, and he, for all intents and purposes, he succeeded until he got his face slashed, and yeah. then his father came in to actually save the day. But his father wouldn't even have had that chance had Tyrion not saved it right, right before. Exactly. I so loved all of that. So much stuff. The Hound walks the off, hound. takes yeah. Sansa. Right. Uh, you got Joffrey, and you got Cersei willing to poison Tommen. Yep. Mm. Until her father runs in and says, the battle is over. We have won. <laughs> um, Cersei, in that moment. Take for you guys watching her ready to poison her son to preserve something in her mind. Uh, do you agree with her? Do, do, sure. I mean, she's saving him. You know, Stannis isn't gonna, uh, right. you know, give him a, a, mm-hmm. a tickle. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's this is 
Kind of the logical thing to do. Especially if you're a woman, because that's a woman's poison. I mean, that's yeah, a woman's, woman's way. Yeah, poison yeah, is a woman's poison, way. Unless you're Oberyn. Yeah, unless you're <laughs> Oberyn. Michelle, right. for you, seriously, in that moment? Uh, I think she's batshit. That's all I can say. <laughs> she just, I mean, Fair really? But, sure. but, but I think you guys are right. It's not only such an epic battle scene, but everything that happens afterwards and the pivot of all these characters. So many things are about to go wrong in Tyrion's face and mm-hmm. Cersei with her son. Yeah. It's loaded with steam and with stakes. The whole episode is that way. That I love episode it. and this season, there's so much that I we really can't even break it down any more than we can now because we'd be here all afternoon. So I want to kind of start to wrap up. But as season two uh, ends, we got Danny's kind of uh, got her dragons grown. She's mm, she's finally. taking some power. She's gonna her and Jorah are gonna sail on out of here. And uh, yet three seasons later, three uh, seasons. Yeah, still that, hanging that's out. Yeah. we can talk about, <laughs> of course. Uh, Rob, you got the the mess with his mother and her, her letting. Jamie Luce uh, with Brienne. There's so much going on when the season's end. And then, of course, it ends with the three horns blowing and the army of the undead, the first time we're really seeing the White Walkers. Final question for you guys before we go into the wrap-up segments. Why did that White Walker ignore Sam? That's a great question. I don't know. Yeah. That is my question. I don't know. I don't know. Did even the White Walker look at him and go, Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, we're good. We don't need you, <laughs> don't need you on our <laughs> side. <laughs> Which, hey, kind of came back to bite him a little bit because yep. he did take one of them out. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I'm, I'm with that theory. Yeah. One of my favorite moments, though, uh, in the show is that horn, that third horn blowing because the whole time you up to the well, one's for ranchers, two's for wildlands, three, we never, it's been thousands right, of years. Right, right. Right. And I fell for it, it cuz I'm like they're cleaning up the poop in the snow to go yep. eat or whatever they're doing with that and you hear the first horn, second horn with the third I literally did it like <laughs> <laughs> and scared. It was such a great moment. So that is season two as we begin to wrap up. We do want to go into some of our segments. Ultimate power moves. We've got uh, number three, Littlefinger. Arranges for the Tyrells to save King's Landing. Number two, killing all of Robert's bastards. Joffrey made that decision. Number one, Melisandre's shadow baby assassinates Renly and sends season two into some chaos. Any other power moves you guys think of uh, in season two? Daenerys putting the man that would have been her husband in that in the vault in, in the, the vault, vault. Oh, <laughs> Duxos, yes in Dorea sequel yeah. to Room yeah. 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 Right there. Yeah. Um, I would say Stannis even though again it didn't turn out so hot um, after you see that explosion and half of your army go up to be like Man, we're still doing this. Uh, that is a powerful, stupid move. That's a stupid. <laughs> stupid. Good idea. We'll just think the wildfire in general. Yeah. I mean, we didn't get Tyrion's chain, but we got the wildfire. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now, as we do, we like to do a top three inspired by this season of Tom's Three Things. We're going to do the top three dresses in Game of Thrones, and this will probably Yay! spark some debate. Uh, coming in at number three, it's Daenerys' Garth... Uh, Garth... Daenerys' <laughs> Garth... Party on, Wayne. Party on, Wayne. Party God. This Party is a very uh, popular cosplay, uh, other than her some of her basic stuff. It's a beautiful dress. Zaro's looking pretty good, too, yeah. there. Yeah. That dress resonate with Look any of you? Can we just pay attention to Jorah yeah. for a second? <laughs> that's the penultimate Jorah pose. Uh, number two is Sansa Stark's wedding gown from later on. Uh, this is an extravagant dress there. Look at her. Look at that poor girl. Solid. I feel so sorry for oh, Sansa. Yeah. <laughs> Number one, my favorite dress in all of Game of Thrones is Marjorie Tyrell's what we're calling the funnel dress. Mm-hmm. The dress that seems the like... The funnel dress. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> would, would you guys what? wear that? 
Huh. I would yeah. wear anything on the show. Let's sure. Be honest, but Fair point. Sure. Looks Why like not? the Olympic Please. torch. Absolutely. And oh she God. wears it a couple times. And as an honorable mention, we have Sir Jorah and his still dress. His armor, I think. Uh, Sir Jorah is. Uh, look yeah. at that. That oh. is a great. If, if you Straight count that as a dress, heart. yeah, absolutely. Oh, he deserves an honorable mention. Yes. <laughs> yes. So on our way out, we're going to pay homage to some of the people who left us during this season of Game of Thrones. There's a lot, so let me get through it here. Should then we, we can do the Oscars music? We can uh, say yes. goodbye as we wrap up. Boys to men song over there. We have <laughs> Renly Baratheon, Zaro Zohan Doxus, Dorea, Piat Pri, Sir Roderick Cassell, Maester Lewin, the Tickler, Matho Seaworth. And Corin Hafan, among others. Thoughts on our departed. Really, no one important except for Renly. Yeah, Renly. So, yeah. How dare you, sir? <laughs> oh, you're a big uh, duck sauce <laughs> fan? <laughs> Daria, man, that was my girl. Daria was, uh, the handmaid was good. And, and I mean, the tickler, come on, we uh. can't say that here. Uh, at the hands of Jagan Hagar, which is another great line uh, storyline in the season, his emergence and, and the taking Arya out. Guys, we could talk for hours about season two alone, but we got more talking to do. I want to thank you guys for joining us here on Watching Thrones. Again, live every Monday, 1 p.m. PST, following episodes of Game of Thrones on Sunday on Screen Junkies Plus, and of course on uh, all the podcast formats, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. You're going to have a lot of ways to catch us during this season. And you can Skype in. You can use the hashtag Watching Thrones to have conversations with us, people like me, at Cadnapsock, Michelle Boyd. Where can they find you? Ah, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, at Michelle Boyd. Spencer Gilbert, our fool. Yeah. <laughs> on Twitter, at Spencer J. Gilbert, on YouTube, on his trailers, and right here on Screen Junkies Plus. And Miriam, Issa, our special guest today. I love that we had you for season two because Thank you, you so really much. love season two. I really do, but I love all the seasons. Thank you so much. Uh, and Twitter, at Miriam Issa, Instagram, at Miriam underscore Issa, because someone stole my handle. Oh, no. You're going to pay the Iron Throne price. The second yeah. of her name. Absolutely. Uh, thank you all. Special thanks to Lon Harris for the research, JT in the booth, Ryan making us look pretty on the cameras and to Dark Horse and Things from Another World for these wonderful collectibles yes, and toys they beautiful. have provided us that mm. I am going to make sure you don't steal at the end of the show. <laughs> Kidnapping all of them. So until next time, I'm Ken Napsock. This has been Watching Thrones on Screen Junkies Plus. <laughs>